Article from the New York Times. Starts like this. After weeks of continuously unfolding abuse scandals, men have become quite literally unbelievable. What any given man might say about gender politics and how he treats women are separate and unrelated phenomena. Liberal or conservative, feminist or chauvinist, woke or benighted, young or old, found on Fox News or in the New Republic, a man's stated opinions have next to no relationship to behavior. Through sheer bulk, the string of revelations about men from Bill Cosby to Roger Ailes to Harvey Weinstein to Louis C.K. to Al Franken and this week to Charlie Rose and John Lasseter have forced men to confront what they hate to think about most, the nature of men in general. Ooh, that is a huge, huge leap. These are men, multimillionaires, massive amounts of media, political power, and so on. And now suddenly they represent all men, all men as a whole. That is really astounding and an astonishing leap. If I take the worst elements of any group and then somehow extrapolate it to that group as a whole. Well, that's unjust and unfair. Take Islamic terrorists and say, that's somehow Islam as a whole. Ooh, that's horrible and unfair. And true, it is unfair. If I take, um, you know, the extraordinary high levels of crime within the black community and say, well, this is, this is we got to talk about the essence of blackness or something, that would be unfair and unjust. But somehow you take a scattering of predatory men and now this is somehow masculinity as a whole. Ooh, that's quite something. Now, he goes on to say, this time the accusations aren't against some freak geography teacher, some frat running amok in a southern college town. They're against men of all different varieties, in different industries, with different sensibilities, bound together solely by the grotesqueness of their sexuality. Really, a writer. You can't think of anything that these men have in common. Nothing whatsoever. Their wealth, their fame, their power, their notoriety, their wealth, their... I mean, nothing. They're just a complete cross-representation of everything masculine. Can't think of a possible, possible thing. Now, I want to start off here just when we get into this. Yes, there are bad men. I am really, really happy that this conversation about sexual harassment and sexual predation... And, and groping and grabbing and raping and all of that, that is an essential conversation to have. I'm really, really glad we're having it. But don't you dare somehow talk about this being men as a whole. And don't you dare talk about male nature, completely independent of female nature. So the way it generally works is that men propose sexual relations and women either say yes or they say no. Now, personality is significantly genetic, which means that when women choose aggressive, violent, dominant men, then they are more likely to have aggressive, violent, and dominant children. doesn't mean we don't have free will or moral responsibility. We need that precisely because there is aspects of our urges that are beyond our control. Like, why do you need the science of nutrition? Because you want to eat stuff that's bad for you, right? Your sugar, your, your salt, your fats, and so on. I know these things in moderation, blah, except for sugar, which seems to be a demon no matter which way you look at it. But we have these urges. Do you generally feel like exercising hard? Well, a lot of people don't. But you make yourself do it because it's good for you. So, of course, we have urges that require restraint. But the idea that women are somehow completely outside the influence of what is male nature, whatever we want to call that, I mean, 
it displays a profound and fundamental ignorance of evolution and biology. Throughout human history, many more women have reproduced than men, which meant that, which meant that women had the chance to say no to men throughout most of history, particularly in the West, where rape has been illegal for thousands of years. And so the idea that women have absolutely nothing to do with male nature whatsoever is truly astounding. I mean, women raise men. Women raise men. Either directly by being stay-at-home moms or indirectly by putting their sons and their daughters into daycares and pre-Ks and Ks and, and grade school where it's overwhelmingly female. So women raise men. And women throughout human history, evolutionarily speaking, have shaped masculinity more than masculinity has shaped femininity because men propose, women dispose sexually. So female choices have had much more influence on male nature than male nature has ever had on female nature. It's not to say there's none. There's definitely some. But it's much more so on the female side. Females are the primary caregivers in the West and in most places, and women hit and abuse children far more than men. Far, even when you control just for the fact that women are around children a lot more as primary caregivers, women abuse children more than men as a whole. And so the idea that, that masculinity is somehow completely independent of female choices, of female influence, of female abuse, of female child-raising practices is truly astonishing. Also, women outlive and outvote men. And in a democracy where for the past, what is it, coming up for a hundred years or so, that women have had the vote in America, other places longer and shorter. So women have been shaping the political environment through their votes, disproportionate to men, for almost a century. And this is one of the reasons there are arguments as to why you have, you know, the welfare state, why you have this horrible predatory family court system that shafts men and, and rewards women, why there's alimony, why there's massive amounts of child support, uh, and why there are old age pensions, the welfare state as a, man, as a whole. So these massive income transfers, often voted for by women to transfer resources, as government does as a whole, transfer resources from men to women. Uh, the male wallet is his vagina, um, even has a not dissimilar. Anyway, so the idea that somehow where masculinity is, is completely independent of female choices, female responsibilities that exist in isolation, it's truly astonishing. Just look at the rise of single motherhood. Single motherhood is a toxic environment in general for children. Children of single mothers, when there's an unrelated man in the household, as there quite often is, are more than 30 times more likely to be abused. The safest place for women and for children is in a pair bonded, two adults, married, committed, stable family environment. That is by far the safest place for women and for children. So anyone who's not promoting uh, marriage and commitment and stability, anyone who's not condemning the largely frivolous reasons for divorce, like 70 plus percent of divorces are initiated by women, the number one reason given is dissatisfaction. This not abuse, not um, uh, infidelity, not... Uh, substance abuse, not a failure to provide, eh, dissatisfaction. So anyone who is 
not supporting marriage and opposing frivolous divorce is putting women and children in extraordinary risk. And because you have the single mom phenomenon, you end up with, and I've got a whole presentation on this called Gene Wars, this are selected, this um, have sex early, have sex often, and uh, uh, you end up with this very unstable society. And this is one of the reasons why there's this weird and creepy normalization of pedophilia going on. I've seen reports and statistics like that 100 years ago. Puberty was in the mid to late teens now. 9, 10, 11, 12. And so when you get this really R-selected, unstable, father absence kind of environment, sexuality tends to get pushed younger and younger, which is why you're seeing these creepy articles with 10-year-old boys with makeup on expressing their sexuality Dude, they're dead. So what happens when people don't understand the complexity of how personality, sexuality, and relationships develop? They end up isolating males from all influence of females, of the state, of society as a whole, and then just demonizing men with no context, no history, and no understanding of basic evolutionary biology. The article goes on to say, men arrive at this moment of reckoning woefully unprepared, Most are shocked by the reality of women's lived experience. Almost all are uninterested or unwilling to grapple with the problem. At the heart of all this, the often ugly and dangerous nature of the male libido. Ah, right. Okay, I don't mean to shock everyone out there, but Fifty Shades of Grey, what is it, the biggest selling book in in human history? And that is what? A guy who basically turns a woman into a beaten whore, right? Because he's got a huge amount of money. He's massively physically attractive. And uh, he's also uh, a sadist, right? A a dominant. He wants her to become his submissive. He's, He's dominant. So he beats her. He sexually tortures her. And women love that stuff. Love that stuff. So I don't know anything that's equivalent in terms of what men find attractive. Like, I don't know if there are lots of books that men are buying uh, where women are subjugated or men are subjugated in this brutal and violent fashion. fashion. But the idea that, oh, you see, male sexuality is just twisted and weird and dark, but female sexuality is hugs and foreplay and and cuddles and, you know, I mean, it's crazy. Women, moms hit children more than men. And Fifty Shades of Grey is by far the most popular book of erotica that has ever been penned. And it's pretty violent. So, I don't know if he's, maybe he's not heard of that. Who knows? Who knows? Go, uh, article goes on. For most of history, we've tef- taken for granted the implicit brutality of male sexuality. In 1976, the radical feminist and pornography, pornography opponent, Andrea Dworkin, said that the only sex between a man and a woman that could be undertaken without violence was sex with a flaccid penis. If you've seen a picture, anyway, she, she said, I think that men will have to give up their precious erections. That's what she wrote. And so all consensual sex between men and women is rape, I think, according to this theory. So there's no proof. You understand, there's no science, there's no data, there's no evidence, there are no studies. This is just ramblings. Anyway, he goes on to say, in the 3rd century AD, it is widely believed, the great Catholic theologian Origen, working on roughly the same principle, castrated himself. Okay, I don't know. 
Okay, so for a lot of human history, things were pretty brutal. Particularly in the warmer climates. Now, in the colder climates, before it got too cold to have farming, in the colder climates, it was less so this way. A woman had to not just have sex or breed with a brutal man, but she needed to breed with men who had forethought and planning and hard work and good social relations, because all of those are required to plant your crops, to uh, take care of your livestock, to, to tend your crops, to store your food for the winter, to manage how much you eat because you've got a long, cold winter. You're only going to survive if you intelligently manage your resources. Whereas when resources are plentiful, i.e. in Africa or in the inner city with the welfare state and so on, then uh, women don't have the same incentive to have children with more uh, moral, self-restrained, deferral of gratification-based intelligent men. And so they just, you know, bang anyone with a a six-pack and a rap album, so or a rap tape, I guess. So for most of human history and in most of human environments, it was a pretty brutal uh, world. And so women evolved to have some sexual preferences for brutal men, and you can see this actually in their cycle as well. And I don't know if this guy's... I mean, have you ever been friend-zoned? Have you ever had a woman just go after ridiculously unsuitable Men, like you men, you just, you know that they're just going to be terrible. And while the nice guy, the good provider, the sensitive guy gets uh, sidelined, it's a common complaint among men. Nobody ever listens, of course, I mean, other than other men. But uh, nobody ever listens to this kind of stuff because it goes against this whole narrative. So how well do sensitive men do sexually in, say, the inner cities, in a ghetto, uh, in... um, Uh, In Africa, how well do uh, sensitive men who put women on pedestals treat them with respect, want them to be equals, uh, defer, 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 uh, and sublimate their own sexuality? How well do these sensitive men do? How well do they do in the Middle East? Um, I guess I would would ask that question. And so if women are attracted to more aggressive and brutal men for a variety of reasons, and again, it's all about procreation and survival. These are not moral issues that we're talking about here. It's just understanding the evolution of human sexuality. There is no greater reward in life than procreation because that's the whole point. All genes that promote brutality, and there are warrior genes uh, in the in the human gene genome, all genes that promote brutality, if they're rewarded with procreation and if the sensitive nice guys get sidelined, then the genetics for aggression are going to spread, are going to to spread. And so the idea that male character, male personality is completely divorced, absolutely independent of female choices. I mean, you see better science coming out of creationists, and I'm not kidding about that. I'm not kidding about that. You know, there's a um, a researcher in Russia. You can look this up if you want. It's, it's worth a read. There's a researcher in Russia who some time back decided that he wanted to breed gentle, friendly foxes and violent, aggressive foxes. And it really wasn't hard to do. didn't take very long at all. What he did was he started with a whole bunch of puppies and he found the most aggressive puppies, male aggressive puppies, and he mated them with the most aggressive female puppies when they grew up, when they became sexually mature. And what happened was, in a couple of generations, he had two distinct sets of foxes. One was, you know, playful, like a puppy, and, and they'd become, uh, they neotenous, right? Dogs are basically neotenous wolves. They retain their puppy characteristics all through their life, which is why they fortunately seldom attack people. So he ended up with 
a batch of very violent, aggressive, untamable foxes. And he ended up with a batch of very nice, uh, pleasant, playful, and child-friendly foxes. It's not, it's not hard. So if you want to understand where human society is, look at various ideologies around the world. Do they promote niceness or do they promote aggression? If they promote aggression, then the longer they last, the more aggressive those inhabitants are going to be. Um, it's Don't get mad at me. Just <laughs> get mad at science if you want. But these are the facts. So if nice guys are not rewarded with procreation, but more aggressive guys are, you know, like... Okay, this is a side story time. I was I was watching this. Um, I love the life of musicians. I find that really fascinating. I was watching the life of John Cougar Mellencamp, John Cougar Mellonhead, and um, there was some supermodel he wanted to date, and he basically called her up and said, "You know, I'm going to stalk you, and you know, you're going to go out with me, or else." Very aggressive, very harsh, very nasty. And she was like, "Yeah, let's get married." <laughs> so. Um, and that's anecdote. I understand that the plural of anecdote is not data, but if you look around in your own life and just talk to women, what do they want? Tall, dark, and handsome. And, uh, and look at the ultimate male sexual model of the past couple of decades. Like the number one in, in human history, the number one male sexual model is Christian Grey, a sociopath of near infinite cruelty and brutality. And I guess only the, I guess the, the V cannon brings down the psychopath. That's like, I mean, that is the very ideal. So it's not, it's not a nice guy. Fifty Shades of Grey does not have, you know, my 50 point support of the feminist agenda by a nice guy. That's not what's going on. You could say, well, it's just a book. It's like, yeah, but it's a book that reveals an enormous amount. And so... I just wanted to point that out. This boring one-sidedness where it's just like, well, men are, men are just men and, and they don't have any relationship to anything that happens with women. And uh, it's just, um, I don't know what to say. It's, it's so anti-scientific. It's so anti-subtle that it's kind of hard to understand how people can sustain this stuff or take it seriously. A couple of studies. You know, a couple of studies. It's really not the end of the world to ask for that. So he goes on to say, fear of... The male libido has been the subject of myth and of fairy tale from the beginning of literature. What else were the stories of Little Red Riding Hood or Bluebeard's Castle about? A vampire is an ancient and powerful man with an insatiable hunger for young flesh. Actually, that's boomer retirees with their pension plans, but he goes on to say, Werewolves are men who regularly lose control of their bestial nature. Get the point? There is a line, obviously between desire and re realization, and some cross it and some don't. But a line is there for every man and until we collectively confront this reality. The post-Weinstein public discussion where men and women go from here will begin from a place of silence and dishonesty. So, <laughs> it's a grim argument, I guess. So his, his proof here is that there are fa fairy tales. And, and, and because there are fairy tales with bad guys... Uh, Therefore, men are evil. I mean, come on. This is like, I don't know. I don't know. This is, I guess this is what they teach in art school uh, these days or in art college and arts degrees and so on. This is what they teach. Stories of Little Red Riding Hood. Well, Little Red Riding Hood is rescued by a good man. And you don't think there are female vampires uh, in, in stories? Uh, of course there are. And, and 
Think of the succubus, right? The, the she-devil. Uh, think of uh, female uh, demons that, that, that take human shape and seduce men and then turn into monsters. Think of witches, right? I mean, come on. Come on. This idea that there are fairy tales and therefore men are evil, not an argument. <laughs> that can be not an argument. This doesn't really prove much of anything. And, of course, uh, you can think of one of the most famous characters in fairy tales is the evil stepmother. The evil stepmother. What that says, of course, let's just say, so, so there are some ideas or theories which I've also shared, that if you have an evil mom, then you have to imagine that she's not really your mom. Your real mom was replaced by this evil mom, and that's why the evil stepmother shows up so much. But there's something fundamentally important and powerful about the evil stepmother trope in fairy tales, which is the idea that if you're not biologically related to your children, then you are more callous with them. And of course you are. Biologically, this is exactly how we would expect human beings to develop. What that means, of course, is that single moms are exposing their children to men who are not as biologically interested in their success and survival, the children. And this is one of the reasons why, as I mentioned before, if there's a non- related male around children in a single mom household, that child or those children are more than 30 times more likely to be abused. Not 30%, 30 times more likely to be abused. So we could take the evil stepmother thing and say, well, it's dangerous for children to be around adults who aren't related to them, which is a problem with single mother. And please don't tell me, oh, I'm a single mom because my husband died. Massive sympathy. But you're not a single mom. You're a widow. That's, that's a whole different kettle of fish. So I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Like if you want to talk about toxic male sexuality, you know, uh, some of these migrants who, who end up in Europe are regularly attacking women. They have to be handed pamphlets with like the kind of, uh, of graphics that you see in, in, in fight club and airplanes where don't, don't grab women, don't molest women. The sexual emergency molestation of, of children uh, in Afghanistan, a, a, um, a soldier was disciplined for punching a, a man who raped an Afghani who raped a, a little boy. I mean, if you want to talk about toxic male sexuality, why you would start in the first world, I don't really understand it. Like in a lot of the, 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 the Middle Eastern countries, what is it? The woman needs like four witnesses, male witnesses, in order to charge a man with rape. Does that not seem like toxic male sexuality? Why are you talking about white, mostly white Western males. You want to talk about toxic sexuality? Look at the rapes of rape and child abuse, child sexual abuse in the black community in America. But but no, all men are, are the same. And I just, I mean, it couldn't be moral cowardice that he would avoid talking about these situations. Look at the massive rise in the incidence of rape in Sweden as a direct result of allowing all these third worlders into the country. You care about toxic male sexuality? Why aren't you talking about that? Well, no, you see, because I guess he might get in trouble for dealing with those basic facts. So instead, he's going to talk about little fucking Red Riding Hood and call himself, I don't know. So I'm not reading the whole article here. He goes on to say, the masculine libido and its accompanying forces and pathologies drive so much of culture and politics and the economy while remaining more or less unexamined, both in intellectual circles and in private life. See, again, the saying this is a male-dominated... Like, women have had to vote for almost 100 years in, in many places. 
And so the idea that politics is driven by male concerns, if politics is driven by male concerns, then why is the justice system so skewed towards putting men in prison, right? Men are in prison, what, eight, nine, ten times the rate of women? Why? Uh, Even for the same crimes, women get less in terms of sentencing and punishment than men for the same crime, with the same history, with the same rap sheet. And why would there be massive alimony? Why would there be palimony? Why would there be, well, you live together long enough, now suddenly you're equivalent to married, and the woman can take half your stuff if she gets mad at you. Why would there be all of these uh, allegations of sexual abuse in divorce that have become so common? It's called SAID, sexual allegations in divorce. And oftentimes it's a tactic to gain control of the kids. Why would men lose out so much in the family court system? Why would women not get punished for lying about male sexual assault or rape, which has happened very publicly and very repeatedly. The idea that it's all just somehow run for men, why are white males dying off in record numbers? Why is the life expectancy for white males going down if they're so much in charge of and so much run the culture? It makes no sense. Why would there be massive third world immigration into a country supposedly run by white males when this drives down the wages of white males and renders them unemployable in many situations? Why would there be all this affirmative action where if you're a white male, you are often specifically or implicitly excluded from applying for certain jobs? Like this idea is just like white males run everything, but they're they're not, I mean, they did kind of build a lot of the Western civilization. So the idea that they're just running it so badly doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But again, in order to blame men and to isolate male sexuality from any female influences, you have to pretend that women are helpless, right? It's the old saying, right? A a man's facade of strength is his weakness, and a woman's facade of weakness is her strength. He goes on to say, I live in Toronto, a liberal city in a liberal country with Justin Trudeau for prime minister, a half-female cabinet, and an explicitly feminist foreign policy. So if I understand this correctly, he's saying that Justin Trudeau has policies, in this case he says foreign policy, but he says he's a liberal. In this case, Justin Trudeau is importing, uh, and well, not himself directly, but he's supporting the policies, immigration policies, importing hundreds of thousands of people into Canada uh, every year. Within 2036, Canada's population growth will be 100% based on immigration. At the moment, it's 75%. These cultures, for the most part, with some exceptions, but these cultures, for the most part, have no history of feminism, no history of equality for women, and um, are often pretty patriarchal and, and fairly primitive. So how exactly is he a pro feminist if he is replacing a very female sensitive culture with a less female sensitive set of cultures as a whole? I mean, if after a hundred years of exposure, to feminist thought. Western men are still so hopelessly patriarchal and hopelessly insensitive and hopelessly toxic in their sexuality after 100 years of female empowerment, female voting, feminism, indoctrination, women raising uh, the children, absent fathers, women being in control of so much. If after 100 years of this, Western men are still so hopelessly toxic how long is it going to take for, say, somebody from Somalia to get better, so to speak? You understand? This, this, none of this makes any sense. If men can't be changed, then you have to make do with the men that you have. And if after 100 years of all of this stuff, men still fundamentally are terrible, well, 
How's it going to work with some guy from sub-Saharan Africa? How's it going to work? A feminist going to be able to fix them when they haven't fixed sensitive Western men who are very keen on egalitarianism between the genders in many ways? I don't know. I think the answer is pretty clear. He goes on to say, The men I know don't actively discuss changing sexual norms. We gossip and surmise who is a criminal and who isn't, which of the creeps whom we know are out there and will fall this week. Beyond the gossip, there is a fog of the past that is better not to penetrate. Aside from the sorts of clear criminal acts that have always been wrong, changing social norms and the imprecision of memory are dark hallways to navigate. Be careful when you go down there. You might not like what you find. That is murky insinuation. Still, not an argument. There's no data here. No facts. And no arguments based on anything uh, informed by evolution, biology, science, gender differences, or anything like that. So he goes on to say, so much easier to turn aside. Professionally, too, I've seen just how profoundly men don't want to talk about their own gendered nature. In the spring, I published a male take on the fluctuations of gender and power in advanced economies. I was interviewed over 70 times by reporters from all over the world, but only three of them were men. Men just aren't interested. They don't know where to start. Now, that's interesting. So let's look at that topic for a moment. It is um, the fluctuations of gender and power in advanced economies. So this guy says that men are toxic, that men are dysfunctional, that male sexuality is pathological. And then he's kind of surprised that men don't really want to talk to him. (laughs) I mean, come on. Come on. I mean, you trash and bash any group that way. And you then are surprised that men don't want to talk to you and members of that group don't want to talk to you? All redheads are pathological serial killers. You know, I went to a redhead convention and strangely enough, no one wanted to talk to me. It's because redheads just aren't willing to deal with how evil they really are. And it's like, I'm sorry, like I don't mean to laugh. It's just, it's so strange to me. If men are going to get demonized in a conversation, why would you want to engage in that, why would you want to? You know, here, here's a whip for you, like beating yourself bloody for I don't know a couple of years. Uh, no, I'm I'm okay. I'm not. I'm not the chick from Fifty Shades. It's not not really my thing. So it goes on to say, healthy sexual existence requires a continuing education, and men have the opposite. See, is it a continuing education for women? If men had been buying Fifty Shades of Grey, and if it had been the most popular male book in human history, which involved the subjugation, domination, beating, and humiliation of a woman, we would say, well, men really need, this is a huge warning sign about pathological male sexuality. But the fact that women, this like mommy porn stuff for women, uh, that this is like, oh, well, that's just a healthy expression of their kinky libidos and, you know, let your freak flag fly and all that kind of stuff. And this, again, is just a double standard. And if men were in power, why would the double standard always go against men? I mean, again, this is not hugely complicated, but if you've never been exposed to these ideas, this guy probably is really into diversity, but it doesn't sound like he's ever talked to or researched anything that disagrees with him, in my opinion. So he goes on to say, there is sex education for boys, but once you leave school, the traditional demands on masculinity return. Show no vulnerability. Solve your own problems. Men deal with their nature alone and apart. Ignorance and misprison are the norms, which is how we wind up where we are today, having a public conversation about male sexual misbehavior while barely touching on the nature of men and sex. The very few prominent men who are speaking up 
now basically just insist that men need to be better feminists, as if the past few weeks have not amply demonstrated that the ideologies of men are irrelevant. Again, nothing about women. So women, of course, are... This was sort of the the promise, right? Like, boy, you think universities are good now that there aren't that many women. When you get equal numbers of women, you're going to get a new intellectual renaissance. There's going to be massive advances in in ethics and politics and gender. Society's going to get way better. There's going to be more robust debate. Uh, It's going to be enormously better. And uh, what's happening now? Well, I mean, I think there was a woman in a Canadian university got investigated for playing a Jordan Peterson video. For heaven's sakes. He was referred to as like playing a, a video by Hitler. And, and you've got safe spaces, you've got hug rooms, you've got panics, you've got fire alarms, you've got women throwing blood, you've got... Like, where is the paradise, the intellectual paradise that was promised? And this is not uh, talked about. This is not talked about. You know, there, there's an old cliche around women, and it's to some degree supported by the science, uh, that uh, women are much more prone to neuroticism than men. So there is this cliche about women that, uh, you know, women uh, think emotionally, uh, are less susceptible to sort of rational, abstract, empirical-based arguments and so on. And people said, of course, let's get more women into college. That's just a myth. That's nonsense. That's not true. But the empirical evidence that free speech is diminishing on college campuses uh, across the West, that there's more neuroticism, there's more aggression, there's more hysteria, and so on. Is it really putting that entire myth to rest? I'm not sure that it is. He goes on to say, liberalism has tended to confront gender problems from a technocratic point of view. Improved systems, improved laws, better health. That approach has resulted in plenty of triumphs, but there remains no cure for human desire. It isn't actually about sex, it's about power. I read in The Guardian the other day, how naive you must be not to understand that sex itself is about power every bit as much as it's about pleasure. Power? God. What circles are these people moving in? (sighs) Sex is about power? It's a wonderful expression of human love between consenting, willing, and passionate adults. Like, how is this about power? Now, there is power sometimes in sex, but the idea, I mean, in a social sense, not in necessarily in an interpersonal sense, because women gain a lot of power over men through sex. I mean, they gain the power of whether the man's genes continue or not, right? Women always know their children are theirs, so and men are, can never be certain, at least until modern times. And in England, you have to get the mom's permission to even get a genetic test. And men have been forced to pay child support for children they were told were theirs but weren't. And so, yeah, women gain power over men through sex. They gain resources, they gain political allegiance, family courts, sexual abuse and assault and rape allegations, which sometimes turn out to be false. There's a, there is power in sex. Sex is not always about power, but there is power in sex, and it is wielded by men, and it is wielded by women. But this weird thing where I promote women's equality, but I'm only going to talk about how bad men are, that is not equal. You know, this this annoys me because I have a daughter. I have a daughter and I don't want her growing up in a society that removes free will from her and tells her that there's just this massive patriarchal domino crashing crater tombstone destruction meteor strike on all of her possible ambitions and that men are patriarchs and sex is about power. How on earth is she going to find love when she grows up? How is she going to find love if this is what she's told? 
I won't let her hear it. I mean, I, I simply won't. I won't let her hear it. It's uh, it's toxic. It, it it is to me as uh, as toxic as as the most virulent forms of racism. You know, like I'm not going to let this. I mean, I wouldn't take her to some KKK rally and 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 cheer at whatever was called out. And I won't have this uh, men are predators, sexuality, male sexuality is toxic, and and it's patriarchy and it's about power, because it will strip her of the capacity to to love. It, it, it's to- this is toxic. This is toxic. So, he goes on to say, acknowledging the brutality of male libido is not, of course, some kind of excuse. Sigmund Freud recognized the id and knew it as a chaos, a cauldron full of seething excitations. Well, okay, Freud has been discredited. I mean, this is like phrenology. Freud has been discredited. I mean, this is alchemy. Nobody really believes in Freudian theories. It doesn't mean that the sort of Freudian conversation, talk therapy, and so on, there's no particular school of therapy that works or doesn't work. Just having an empathetic and concerned therapist seems to be what matters. But sort of Freudian theories, um, no, they're not. Uh, but, you know, Freud said it, therefore it's true. So he goes on to say, but the point of Freud was not the boys will be boys, rather the opposite. The idea of the Oedipus complex contained an implicit case for the requirements of strenuous repression. If you let boys be boys, they will murder their fathers and sleep with their mothers. What are you, Jim Morrison? <sighs> Freud is not science. The number of men, uh, boys, who sleep with their mothers and murder their fathers, I don't even know. Like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. So, just, just so you understand how, to me, deranged this is. Think of black criminality and you say, well, if you were to make the argument that if, if, if you don't restrain blacks, they're hot, right? This is how they're going to end. And there are far more black criminals than there are men who murdered their fathers and sleep with their mothers. So saying that this is somehow the essence of masculinity is incest and murder is truly astounding truly astounding and of course i mean there is you know there is an increase i think that there is an increase in in pedophilia maybe just its visibility but i think there's an increase as well again because of single motherhoods and 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 children being exposed to non-related men who uh, end up uh, preying upon this but this is to some degree the choice of single moms right say oh well i married this guy turned out to be bad it's like well now come on women have involved to find good men that they have evolved to find good men. So this idea that the essence of masculinity is to sleep with your mom and murder your dad, how on earth is that biologically sustainable? I mean, even outside of the ghastly, horrible, yucky, taboo, hideously, yuck, of it all, sleeping with your mom is bad genetically. I mean, this couldn't possibly be sustainable. As people who just read a whole bunch of social theory and don't know anything about genetics, I don't know. You, Murder your father and sleep with your mom? That Those genes aren't going to last very long. You've gotten rid of a grandfather and you've got your genes all mixed up with your mom. And whoa. Anyway, so Freud, he goes on to say, Freud also understood that repression, any repression, is inherently fluid and complicated and requires humility and self-searching to navigate. Women are calling for their pain to be recognized. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that more. Let's do that more. Nobody ever asks if men's pain should be recognized, if men's sadness should be recognized. The fact that men commit suicide vastly more than women. Women attempt it more. Men succeed more. 
Nobody's talking about that. The fact that, as I said, white males' lifespans are declining for the first time in forever uh, is important, but nobody wants to talk about that. There are men who are so horrified and broken. And, and watch Cassie J's um, The Red Pill. It's a great, great documentary. Men whose lives are broken by the family court system, who commit suicide, who set themselves on fire in protest. Nobody wants to hear. The fact that more than 90% of workplace injuries are males, workplace deaths are males, Nobody wants to talk about that. So the fact that that men are pillaged from to buy votes from women financially through the tax system, through the tax code, nobody wants to talk about that. The fact that the national debts are going to be disproportionately paid for by little boys who grow up and are going to have to work because they contribute far more than they take out in taxes. The fact that you have a healthcare system when it's socialized or increasingly coerced as it is with Obamacare, wherein men are forced to subsidize women's... um, health issues. Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody. So yeah, let's, let's hear more about women's pain because we haven't had, it's just been all about men's pain for the past hundred years. Yeah, that's all we've been hearing about. So he goes on to say, many men are quite unwilling to offer this recognition. It means they don't have to talk about who they are, which means they don't have to think about what they are. Much easier to retreat into ever more shocked and prurient silence or into the sort of reflection that seems less intended as honesty and more aimed to please. Huh, I wonder who he might be trying to please here. He goes, sex is an impediment to any idealism, which is why the post-Weinstein era will be an era of gender pessimism. What if there is no possible reconciliation between the bright, clean ideals of gender equality and the mechanism of human desire? Meanwhile, sexual morality, so long resisted by liberals, has returned with a vengeance, albeit under progressive terms. The sensation of righteousness which social media doles out in ever-diminishing it doles out in ever-diminishing dopamine hits drives the discussion but also limits it unable to find justice or even to imagine it we are returning to shame as a primary social form of sexual control well you have massive rises in stds uh, unwanted pregnancies single motherhood uh, allegations of sexual misconduct and women and children are increasingly endangered by the single mother households so How is that complete removal of sexual norms and romantic norms and marriage norms, how's that working out for society as a whole? How's that working out for the black community? He goes on to say, the crisis we are approaching is fundamental. How can healthy sexuality ever occur in conditions in which men and women are not equal? How are we supposed to create an equal world when male mechanisms of desire are inherently brutal? I don't know, the penis is weapon. It's weird, too, because look look at a marriage where the man is decent and the woman is horrible. And it's his fault for marrying her. And I, But just look at that scenario, right? And there's kids involved. So he stays in the marriage a lot of times. And I've heard this from men directly. He stays in the marriage because he's scared to death that he's going to lose access to his children if... He divorces his wife and he's going to lose half his stuff or more. And he's going to, he could be accused of something very untoward as part of a divorce strategy on her part to gain custody of the children and therefore access to his resources through child support. So this is not an equal situation with marriage that men um, very much come out on the downside of most divorce negotiations. And so how many men 
stay in a miserable marriage because they're terrified of family courts, because they're terrified of divorce, because they're terrified at how much power she's going to have over him to the point where he may end up in jail, he may end up being investigated, he may end up, I mean, in this horrible cycle where let's say he loses his job, well, too bad, you still got to pay your child support, your alimony, and if you don't, you go to jail, and while you're in jail, the payments and associated interest and penalties accumulate, and then you've got to come out of jail and try and get a job with a criminal record, and this is what might happen, and men have seen this happen. Men know. I mean, look at Girl Rights What channel. Men have seen this happen. So the idea, well, how can we have healthy sexuality? Well, the man may end up having sex with a woman he now hates and fears because he's terrified of the family court system. How is it possible for healthy sexuality to occur in conditions in which men and women are not equal? I agree. And there are times when the inequality is male to female that the man has way too much money. Look at President Clinton, ex-President Clinton, back when he was president, and the 22-year-old Monica Lewinsky. That is the very biggest power disparity outside of a parent-child relationship that can be conceived of, an intern and the most powerful man in the world. And there are times when that is brutally unequal. But feminists didn't really have a problem with that because he continued to defend abortion. But uh, And there are times when the inequality goes the other way. And we have spent the last... I don't even know how long, certainly as long as I've been around listening to it, we have spent that amount of time talking about how men dominate women. But come on, is there nothing else to the equation? A boy who's being hit by his mother regularly, is he dominating things? Uh, A man dragged into court and thrown in jail for failure to pay child support? Is that equal? Um, But it's in California, after 10 years, you have to support your ex-wife forever. Is that equal? Is that fair? So he goes on to be this, can we, how can we have healthy sexuality with stuff that's unequal, unequal? We cannot answer these questions unless we face them. So he goes, said, I'm not asking for male consciousness raising groups. Let's start with the basic understanding that masculinity is a subject worth thinking about. I agree. That alone would be an immense step forward. If you want to be a civilized man, you have to consider what you are. Pretending to be something else, some fiction you would prefer to be, cannot help. It is not morality, but culture, accepting a monstrosity, reckoning with it. That can save us, if anything can. And so I want to know what this guy has done, right? If he's saying public pronouncements and private behavior have no relationship and all men are toxic, I want him to tell the world how he's been toxic, what he has done. I don't believe all men are toxic. I don't believe all women are toxic. There's a bell curve of virtue, which I'm trying to move to the virtuous side with a philosophy show. But I want to know if he thinks all, like, it's, it's always like, well, all men, all men are monstrous, and I'm a good guy for saying so. It's like, no, if all men are monstrous, I want you to bear your soul. I want you to tell us what you've done that's so monstrous. How have you abused women? How have you subjugated women? Have you ever had sex with a woman? If you believe that it's never consensual, how do you square that? But uh, you're not you know, likely to hear this kind of stuff. But, you know, for, I don't know, 50 years or so, women have been outvoting men. Uh, women have gained control of the uh, political uh, process in, in many ways, which is why you have security, not freedom. Women generally want security and men want freedom. Men want freedom to compete so they can gain the most resources to get the best women and women want security because they have to regularly put boob milk in their boobs and food in their children's mouths. So the fact that we've been shifting from freedom to security, and of course, you know the old saying, if you give up your freedom for security, you end up with neither. Women have been outvoting men for more than 50 years 
How's Western civilization doing? Have we hit a new pinnacle, a new peak? Are we safe? Are we secure? Are we growing? Are we debt-free? No, we're not. So yes, there are elements of male sexuality among specific men well worth, well worth talking about. But excluding women from the conversation about human morality seems to me abominably sexist.